Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. I looked at the multifamily real estate. I went out and I hired a couple of coaches, a couple of mentors, and there that education really took hold. And you know, Jake and I, and Jake and Gino, we like to say education times action equals results. I actually understood what a cap rate was. I knew what a cash on cash return was. I didn't know that before. There's due diligence when you buy real estate? Really? Didn't know any of that stuff, but I was like winging it and listening to everybody out there saying, you don't really need to spend money on education. You can do it all by yourself. Well, one of my coaches says, you can either learn on the streets or learn in the classroom. Learning on the streets is gonna cost you a lot more money and it's gonna take a lot more time That's coming right up. But first, I want to introduce TribeVest, our show sponsor. I have Travis Smith here, the founder and CEO. Travis, you know I'm a fan of your platform and I'm a member in four different tribes. In fact, I like the platform so much, I'm also an investor. Can you share some of the ways you think TribeVest can help build wealth for passive investors? Thanks, Jim. Well, as you know, we've built a platform that empowers people to easily and safely form investor tribes. If you're a part of an investor tribe, you can participate in deals that maybe you wouldn't or couldn't on your own. And I think that's why TribeVest is so popular amongst passive investors. Think about it. Deals start at 25,000, but I've seen investment minimums as high as 100 or even $200,000. And I don't care who you are. Those are big checks to be writing as a solo investor. But as a tribe, each member can drastically lower their capital requirement and spread the risk on the deal. Or another way to look at it is where maybe as a solo investor, you might invest in one deal, but with your tribe, you could invest in five, maybe 10 deals. You can think of tribe investing as a wealth building experience with the people you know, like, and trust. If there are left fielders who are interested in learning more, please have them check out tribevest.com or reach out to me directly. Jim. We are thrilled to be a part of Passive Investing from Left Field and excited to listen to your interview with this week's guest. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. Hi, I'm Dave Zook from The Real Asset Investor, and you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field. I'm really excited today to have Gino Barbaro with us. He's one of the founders of Jake and Gino LLC, which is a real estate education company. He's also a principal at Rand Partners, a multifamily syndication company, and he's a certified coach as well as an author and podcast host. So Gino, welcome to the Past Investing from Left Field podcast. Jim, thanks for having me on. And we almost didn't get on, but we're here and we're going to make it happen, my friend. Absolutely. And we did have a few technical difficulties. And um, and I can tell you're a coach because before we started, you said, take a couple breaths. And that uh, definitely helps. So 
you have a great story. If you wouldn't mind, just start out telling us kind of your journey, how you got to where you are. Jim, I wish I had learned that and known that 30 years ago. It would have helped me a lot sooner. So for everybody on there, the first tidbit, it really is all about personal development. And that's it in a nutshell. You know, your behaviors are belief driven. If you think you can get on and you can invest passively with multifamily, then you can do it. There's thousands and millions of people doing it. If you think it's not for you, if it's pie in the sky, then you're not going to do it. So your behaviors, they're really belief driven. If you think you can do it, then you can. My story, very similar to a lot of others wanted to become entrepreneurs. I was lucky that I had a family. Mom and dad were both immigrants. They're both really hard workers. I took that work ethic from them. Went to college, got a good job. I hated my job. After a year, left the job and went into business with my family. We bought a restaurant a long time ago, back in 1994. And I thought as an entrepreneur at the time, and I sort of was because back then the landscape was different for businesses. You could have a small family business and do super well, fantastic. And I did for first 15 or so years. 2007, my father passes away and I had worked with him since I was eight years old. And that was, I don't want to say crushing, but that was really a low time for myself. 2008 comes and there's the great recession. I mean, that was my pandemic. And I'm saying to myself, am I building my dream or am I building my father's dream? And I didn't know the answer to that question. I bought a couple of deals prior in real estate. They hadn't worked out because I was just, I was winging it. I didn't know how to really truly become an investor. I was doing well at the restaurant. But when 2008 comes, all of a sudden I'm working harder and making less money and I need to pivot. I need to figure out what my next step is. And I looked at the multifamily real estate. I went out and I hired a couple of coaches, a couple of mentors. And there, that education really took hold. And, you know, Jake and I in Jake and Gino, we like to say education times action equals results. And I actually understood what a cap rate was. I knew what a cash on cash return was. I didn't know that before. There's due diligence when you buy real estate. Really? I didn't know any of that stuff. But I was like winging it and listening to everybody out there saying, you don't really need to spend money on education. You can do it all by yourself. Well, one of my coaches says, you can either learn on the streets or learn in the classroom. Learning on the streets is going to cost you a lot more money and it's going to take a lot more time. So I decided to learn in the classroom finally. And it brought me to Jake in 2011 when he was working out of the restaurant. He was a pharmaceutical rep getting drug orders, orders for his doctors. You know, he has to go into the office all dressed up, get catering orders and try to sell legal drugs. And that's what he did. And I love Jake because he was really a hard worker, really meticulous at what he, what he did. And he was one of the only pharmaceutical reps that I could count on for orders, knowing that in a week in advance, I have to be down to the Bronx because I lived in New York with a delivery person. I could schedule. And I saw that. And I saw the desire in Jake to want to get out of what he was doing, couple that with my desire and the opportunity that I had. Everyone might say it's lucky, but I actually learned how to invest in real estate. I learned the value of, of buying multifamily. And I could translate that to Jake, who knew nothing. He moves down from New York down to Knoxville, Tennessee in 2011. And I'm like, Jake, let's start buying deals. It took us 18 months to find that first deal because we made those rookie mistakes. We didn't have the credibility. We didn't know how to speak to brokers, but we broke through after 18 months. But I think the moral of that story is I had something to offer Jake and Jake had something to offer to me. We set our expectations of what we wanted to do. We bought that first deal. Three months after that, we get our second deal. And six months after that, we get our third deal. And that's where the momentum shifts. And all of a sudden we're saying to ourselves, how do we find money for the second and third deal? Don't worry about that. Worry about your first deal because the second deal will take care of itself if you're not in the space yet. And for us, we just continue to buy deals. We bought our first thousand units by ourselves, no syndication. Wish I'd known about syndication when I started. 
there really wasn't a big demand for it back in 2012, 2013. The Jobs Act had not come out yet. And capital raising was more for the bigger groups, right? And there wasn't a lot of capital back then. You either have deals or you have capital. It's very, very hard to have both at the same time. Now it's flipped a little bit. Now there's a lot of capital out there and the deals are a lot skinnier. So for us, the first thousand units, we were able to refinance over right now. It's up to $15 million of capital out of those deals, not by the Lambo, but repurposed into the next deal. And that's what we ended up doing in the next three or 400 units. We purchased through syndication. We did three syndications and we've gone full cycle on one. We're selling the second one and we're continuing to buy smaller deals. So that, that's our evolution, I guess, in a nutshell, Jim. But I think the big things that I like everyone to take away is there are so many ways to get into multifamily real estate. You can get into it yourself. That's the only way I thought, right? Or you can get into it passively as a limited partner. And then from there, you can also get into it as a general partner, start taking deals down yourself. And what I love about the space, it's food, clothing, and apartments, my friend. That's where we're going to. There's a shortage of single family homes. It's a model where you can scale up. It's an entrepreneurial journey. Jim and Gino are asset managers. We're not only landlords, we're managing an asset. And that's where I think a lot of people make, make mistakes on. That's what, that's what Jake and I did in the beginning. That was our biggest mistake. We're looking at this as just a landlording venture, just as a real estate venture, where if you can shift your mindset and say, it's not only I'm a, I'm a do everything else, I'm going to build a business here. And I'm going to start employing people. And that's what I think we love most about multifamily. That's a great story. And, you know, one of the things that I really like, and I've heard this from a couple of other people, is their first entry into real estate was not successful. And most people then would be done, right? I'm moving on to something else that isn't working for me. So how did you get the courage to go back and say, you know what, I'm going to make a career out of this, even though it didn't work for me the first time? We could probably spend 30 minutes on that question. So I'm going to make it short. For me, Jim, a lot of us, we act out of fear. And when you act out of fear, fear paralyzes you. You can't make any decision. In life coaching, we call level one, level two energy. It's victim slash anger. It's more of an anabolic state. You know, like I said, behaviors are belief driven. If you can believe you do something, you're going to pick up that phone, call the broker. You're going to take that next step. If not, you're going to avoid it. I got angry enough in my situation to say, dude, I don't want to keep going to the restaurant every week, working, collecting a paycheck, whatever's left over is mine, which is dwindling. Where's the next step? That's my anger actually took it over. And then from there, start doing the coaching and start mentoring and start getting clarity. Because I say to everybody, we don't lack the motivation. I was never one for lacking motivation. I was just one for lacking clarity. What were my next steps? How do I get into this space? There are people who have thousands of units and I don't even have one deal. Where do I start? And listening to all this crap online where just go watch a few YouTube videos and go, that doesn't work for the person who wants to really scale up and learn. Success leaves so many clues out there. Find somebody who's done it. Invest in your education. That's what I ultimately did. And investing in your education doesn't stop today because we're continuing to educate ourselves. How do you scale up from 500 units to 1,500 units? You're building a business. I've never scaled a business from that proportion. Ironically enough, I had one restaurant for over 20 years. How do I get 1,500 apartment units within the span of five years? It's from constant growth and constant development. And it's an amazing thing. And that's what we ended up doing. So for to answer your question, to come full circle with that, get clear on what you want and, and figure out what your why is. And if you figure out what your why is, you know the how will come. I was just blessed to say to myself, I need some life coaching. I want some personal development. I listen to all of the speakers out there, Jim Rome, Zig Ziglar, Norman Vincent Peale, Tony Robbins. T. Harbecker. I listened to them all in my 30s and 40s. And that's great. But putting all that into your mind is great. But what's the next step? 
what do you want to do? And I got clarity. I ended up taking that personal development and going to life coaching school, not to become a life coach, but to learn all the skills that a life coach can actually help others. And you're really helping yourself at the same time. And then when you start coaching others, holy crap, you start learning from other people. You know, you learn, you do, and then you teach. And that's what happened with Jake and Gino. I started it because I just wanted to get on podcasts with cool people. I wanted to spend an hour to talk to others and learn about them. If we monetize it, great. If not, but it became my personal mastermind. And that's what I, you know, I tell people, just get out there and figure out what you want to do and focus on what you want to do. Don't tell me what you don't want to do. Tell me what you do want to do. That makes total sense. I mean, left field investors, we're a group of passive investors investing with people like you. And the reason I started that was because I wanted other people to talk to about passive investing. Mm-hmm. And I'd done a few deals and I thought I could help them get into it. And what I've learned is the more I try to help others or, or network with others, the more I learn. I've learned more in the last oh, yeah. year about passive investing than I ever knew. And it's because of this community. Can you talk a little bit about how you made the switch from you were just investing in your own deals for your own with your own money to now you're getting investors and you're and you're having passive investors come come aboard. How did you make that transition and, and how did you find people to invest with? There's a quote that I often cite from Mark Twain, and it goes something like this. It ain't what you don't know that's gonna get you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. <laughs> and for me, simply put, I thought I had to buy real estate all by myself. I couldn't get partners. I couldn't get investors. What's the syndication? And, and that's where people, when they start out, they may have $50,000 or $100,000 and they're like, there's no way I can get it to multifamily. I'm not even going to look at it. So they get stopped. That's their, that's their behaviors. That's their beliefs. Those are their limiting beliefs and it limits them. So for me, as I was starting out, I had the limiting belief in the beginning that I don't want to take anybody else's money. I just, it's just going to be me. It's got to be my money. That can do one of two things. In one way, for me, I felt comfortable because if I'm going to lose somebody's money, I'm going to lose just my money. But still, same token, I'm still going to lose my money. You got to learn how to become a fiduciary of other, other people's money. And what happens is you become a much better underwriter. You become much less sloppier. You don't what we call pencil whip deals because you're doing it for investors. So you're being more of a steward of your money and you become more... I would say in tune with what kind of deals you want to invest in. I love the syndication model. It's one tool in the toolbox. Like I said, you JV and partner on your own deals. Syndication allows you to get into bigger deals, allows you to use less of your own money. You get some acquisition fees. You can roll it in. You're able to invest passively. And then you're also on the GP side, the general partnership side. So you're getting an active and passive role. For us, how we started was pretty simple. And usually... When you start something, it's by accident. We had multifamily mastery one back in 2017. It was our first live event. Just like everything else I've done the last six or seven years, didn't know what the hell I was doing. We put an event together, 175 people. I was so nervous and embarrassed. I didn't even ask my wife to come. They went to Disney that weekend. I'm up in Knoxville at this event. And I'm like, what are we doing here? And it went pretty well. We ended up signing up investors. We said, if you want to you know, start, start the journey with Jake and Gino, start it. I would tell people, start building your own brand. If you're going to start investing and you're still going to start collecting and trying to raise capital, you really have to start building your own brand. You have to become a thought leader like yourself, Jim. Start a podcast, do some YouTube videos, whatever medium you like. If you like to write articles, write articles. If you like to do podcasts or interviews, do that. If you like to do YouTube videos, do that. And I know everyone out there is going to say, oh, well, you know, it's tough. And no, that, that word is the word resistance. You know, Stephen Pressfield wrote the book of the war of art. And when you feel resistance and you're making excuses, guess what? You have to run towards that resistance because that's what you're called to do. 
what I'll do is I have a, a little booklet here that I wrote for the Jake and Gino community. I'm going to share this with anybody. If they want it, just email me, Gino at jakeandgino.com. The little ebook is called How to Share the Benefits of Multifamily Investing to Create Financial Independence. And in there, it'll give you some guidance and some advice on how to raise capital. First thing is people need to shift their mindset. You're not asking for money. You're offering an opportunity to the multitude of people out there that will never be able to invest in real estate. Do you want them on the hamster wheel of the stock market or crypto? Or do you want them in an asset that's going to continue to inflate because asset prices are going to continue to go up and you're in in, in, in an area where there's a lot of demand? And the other thing is, look at the investor. We call it the spy technique when we're looking at a deal, when you're negotiating. It's called the spy because it's the seller, the property, and you. So when you're negotiating a deal, the first thing you need to look at is the seller. How can you provide value to them? And it's the same thing when you're raising capital. If I'm raising capital from Jim, do we fit? Are we finding impact together? What are Jim's qualities? What are his qualifications? Is he a long-term investor? Does he want me to hold his money for the next five to seven years? You need to know what Jim's goals are before you start raising capital. Another thing is the three questions that Jim needs to answer is, can Jim trust Gino? Can Gino help Jim? And does Gino know Jim? If you can know, like, and trust somebody, guess what? Jim's going to continue to write those checks to Gino. And then we can get in a little bit deeper. Gino needs to be an amazing sponsor. He needs to be transparent. He needs to be able to educate Jim, ask Jim any questions. And the amazing thing is, as entrepreneurs, we're there to add value. How do I add value to Jim's life? By constantly being transparent. And then once I build that relationship, all of a sudden, I've got Jim. And Jim may be a successful doctor. And he says, you know, everybody, I'm in multifamily right now. This is really cool. Gino's got a good deal. And all doctor friends want to jump on the bandwagon. And my next deal, guess what? I go back to Jim. Jim spreads the word, and that's how you start building up. But it all really starts with that first investment and reaching out and laying the groundwork, learning how to invest in multifamily, actually underwriting these deals really well. And at the same time, we're sourcing capital as we're sourcing deals. That's two parts of this business. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that was great. So from the perspective of the passive investor, you know, you talked about no like, and trust, and that's some pretty common terminology. And, and I really, mm. you know, I, I believe in that. But if I'm a passive investor or someone from our group is a passive investor, how do we get to the point where we're vetting someone like you or any syndicator so we get to that point where we know, like, and trust you? Because typically you're doing a half hour to 45 minute call and kind of just trying to figure out what you do and, and things about you. But how do we get there so that I know I trust Gino, I like mm. Gino, I'm going to invest with Gino. If, I, if you're a passive investor, what do you do to get there? I'll give you a few bullet points because this could be another 30 minute question, but it's a great question and it's really the crux. You need to do your work, Jim. You need to actually find out what Gino's owns, what Gino's done, maybe even do a background check on Gino. I had Brian Burke on our podcast. He's one of the bigger pockets stars. And we I asked him that same question. And he said a private equity group reached out to him and said, Hey, Brian, we like what you're doing. We're going to be following you for the next couple of years before we decide to invest with you. So they're doing their due diligence. Their time frame is not today or tomorrow. They have what we call the hundred year real estate mindset. They're looking for this the long term. Now, that's what I think you need to do when you're out there and you're vetting sponsors. You really need to look, take a hard look at Gino, see what his business model is, see what his track record is, and start talking to under, other industry leaders in the arena. The other thing I would do is if you're going to invest 50000 or 100000 to one of Gino's deals, maybe you get on a plane, you first look at the deal that Gino's investing in, and secondly, maybe say, hey, Gino, do you mind if I can take a look at a couple of your other deals, how they're performing, what they look like? And if it's far away and you're like, oh, I don't think I can do that, then don't invest with Gino. But get on the plane, go walk some of Gino's properties that he currently owns right now, and then talk to Gino about those deals. 
and get to know and understand what he's doing in the space. That's really important. You need to really trust the sponsor and really trust that they know what they're doing, how to run these assets. That's really important. Meet Gino's team members as well. If he's doing third-party property management, maybe you should get on a call with their third-party property management. Or if not, they have in-house property managers we do, you can get on a call with our property team. We have our uh, head of investor relations, Mike Taravello. You're going to be able to speak to him. Get an intimate knowledge of how the business works. There's so many different facets in multifamily. And nowadays with, you know, with, with the internet, it's not a hard thing to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, you said it very well. If you're going to invest 50 or $100,000 with somebody, it might be worthwhile to spend 500 bucks to go see them. And, you know, I don't do enough of that, but it makes sense, right? Because then you get so much more comfortable for the, the sponsors that I've met and the properties that I've visited are the ones that I have the most confidence in. And so I think it really does make a difference. The reason why I say that is I learned from experience. You know, back in 2005, picture and imagine this. I'm at the restaurant. I've got a significant amount of money in the bank, $172,000. How much? $172,000. So I get introduced to this gentleman. I affectionately call him Maserati Mike. I'm driving around in Maserati in my town. And he's like, I'm doing mobile home parks. You want to invest? And I got introduced to him by a really close friend of mine. I'm still really close friends with him. And my friend had been doing business with Maserati Mike for several years, and they were pretty successful. So there I am, sign a $172,000 check, give it over to him. What a dumbass. Do you think I even know what a cap rate is? Do, I, do, I, do you think I knew where these properties were in Florida? I could have saved $172,000 by number one, probably getting a mentor in mobile home parks, but not even that. Maybe getting on a plane and flying to these properties, taking a look at them and saying, holy crap, I'm buying this. Yeah. Number three, getting a lawyer that can understand syndication because he created a syndication. You know, the Howey test is basically, was basically written. I didn't know what the Howey test was. I didn't know what a syndication was. What well, was me? Now, I'm not here to blame Maserati Mike, although he's a dumbass. I'm the bigger dumbass because I didn't do my due diligence. I could have vetted him out and said, you know what? I don't want to. But when people say, I'm going to give you money and I'm going to be truly passive, you have to underwrite Gino and the deal as if you are doing the deal yourself. And a lot of different metrics and a lot of different things going. If I had done a job growth, if I had done mean and income on this property, taking a look at the mean income, I would not have invested in this. If I had looked at the quality of the assets that he was buying, I would not have invested in this, but I didn't know any of that. So I'm just telling everybody out there, don't make the same mistake that I did. If you're going to invest your hard-earned money into somebody and you're willing to make, create that long-term relationship, Maybe you don't have to get on a plane. Maybe you can do a Google search and look at the properties by Google Maps, but you really need to do your due diligence because that those deals were actually really good deals. It's just the sponsor was terrible and he didn't run the properties. And I take full responsibility as the 100-year real estate investor and that mindset, I'm a 100% responsibility junkie. It's not only his fault, it's my fault for going through it that I didn't have values at the time. I didn't have core values. And this definitely would not have been one of my core values. This would have violated a lot of my values when I look back, I just wouldn't have done the deal. So that's the other thing. When you're an investor, try to build some core values for yourself and see if your core values align with the sponsor. Is the sponsor going to hold a deal for the next five to seven years and you want your money back in 24 months? That's not going to align too well. Do you like the affordable housing space and he's buying A assets? Well, that may not align with your values as well. Are you the type where you want to hold money long term and that sponsor wants to flip that money out and get you in another deal every 24 months just to keep feeing you to death? that may not align with you. So see what your core values are and see if they align with the sponsor who's going to be uh, you know, your, your partner going forward. Now, you mentioned the Howey test. Can you explain what that is? I don't know what year it was. It was in the 1930s. It, you know, it was an orange grove 
And what he did was he started collecting money from all individual investors. They were passive. He collected the money with the expectation that he'd give them a return. So the Howey test proved that that was a syndication because when you're giving money to somebody and they are collecting the money and you're going to be totally passive, you're creating a security. So the security law is involved with that. So for me, the same thing with this Maserati Mike. I went there. I gave Maserati Mike my money. There was nothing. I had no weekly calls with him. I had no cadence of accountability. Another big mistake, which you should do with sponsors. Maybe you should get on a call monthly with the sponsor to make sure that he has some type of webinar to know what they're doing. I'd like to know that there's a lot of CapEx going on. Are you fixing the plumbing? Is that gazebo getting fixed? Are the roofs on, on time? Are we painting? Whatever that looks like. So I gave him the money and I didn't have anything to do. I was completely passive. We created a security. I should have gotten a PPM, an operating agreement, a subscription agreement. None of that happened. So out there, there are a lot of people out there creating quote unquote securities without even knowing about it. So just Google the Howey test, H-O-W-E-Y. It'll give you more clarity on, are you creating security? And a lot of people out there are. And I wish I'd known that back in 2005. Another thing, I would have gone back and I would have sued his ass for doing that, but didn't know that. Wouldn't have got me any money anyway. Wouldn't have got me any satisfaction because he lost all the money. But just that education is power. Knowing that would have been, would have been much better for me. Another question for Travis Smith, the founder of TribeVest. Travis, I often talk about group investing and how it can ease someone into passive investing because they're investing with other people. Can you talk about the power of groups and how TribeVest can help new investors get started in syndication investing? I love this question because it reminds me of why we started TribeVest. My brothers and I saw real estate as a way to hack wealth without having to give up our day jobs. And despite not having any real estate investment experience, we found confidence as a tribe and that we'd be making decisions together. We were up for the adventure. We valued the idea of learning and growing together. But we had a more obvious problem than lack of experience. We lacked capital. We had good incomes, but didn't have the lump sums of money to break into syndicate investing. We each committed to contributing $500 monthly. And that was our breakthrough. As a tribe, the capital added up fast. And it wasn't long before we had our first experience in true wealth building. We were now part owners of a physician's office building in beautiful Pasadena, California. And we've been building wealth ever since. So yes, TribeVest is a great tool for people to ease into passive investing because it makes it so easy. And it helps you take the most important step the first one. If you start pulling capital, the deals will come. Jim, we realized that if our tribe could do it, any tribe could. By forming and funding our investor tribe, we secured a future we could have never imagined. It really did change our lives. You also mentioned metrics, and, and that's one of the things that at left field investors, you know, as I said, we're investing from the passive side. And so we believe that you analyze the sponsor first and make sure you're comfortable with the sponsor. And then, mm -hmm. you know, you look at the market and the asset class, those are important also. And, and the deal is kind of the, the last thing you look at and analyze. And we don't really want to go through and underwrite it like you would as the syndicator, because that, that's kind of your job. What I want to do is just analyze it and make sure it, it fits my parameters. So can you talk a little bit about some of the metrics? that you think are important if you're investing from the passive side. So when you send me a deal, what are the metrics I should be concentrating on when, when I'm evaluating it? That's another long question. I'm going to try to rip this down because 
at Jake and Gino, we teach the three pillars of real estate and it's market cycle, the debt and the exit strategy. So you need to know what part of the cycle you're in right now to be able to look at the type of deal. Five, six, seven years ago, we were buying more deferred maintenance, heavier value add properties because that part of the market, they were, they were less expensive. Now you're buying, you know, in Atlanta, four cap C properties. Why not buy three and a half B properties? There's less deferred maintenance. It really comes back to a, a you know, a price, price point and a value point. So for us, knowing the market cycle, what investors should be looking for in this part of the cycle is, is really important. Look at the market. That's the first thing. Are you willing to invest in that market? What are your parameters? What are your metrics? You're going to be investing, let's say, in a market like Dayton, Ohio, or Cleveland. There's going to be much more cash flow in that market. But is it going to be capital appreciation? Don't know. You know, cash flow gets you out of your job. Equity keeps you out of your job. So you need to have a balance of both. And for me, I want to stay in the Southeast, probably in the Midwest. I want to stay in areas where there's job growth and where people are moving. I was just in New York City yesterday for the day. I went to visit my mom, did some videos up there, came back in the evening. What a disaster that place is. I mean, the infrastructure is horrible. I got an inch and a half of flash flooding rain. All the roads are closed. People are fleeing. It's so expensive. And our rents could to continue to rise there. I don't think so. Long term, it looks pretty bleak up in the Northeast. I want to go where their people are. That's, that's, that's one of the most important things where their jobs are growing. Because if there's no demand for our product, rents aren't growing. And you can't expand NOI without income growing. The other thing I would look at is look at the median income of the area. I mean, if you're looking at properties in the Bs and Cs, you want a median income that at least three times what your rate, what you're charging in rents. The other thing, we're looking at properties a little bit newer now, 80s and above, brick, you know, pitched roofs. We're looking at assets. If they're older, you got to buy them right. And you have to make sure that you budget for all of those expenses because roofs need to get done. You saw what happened in, in Miami with that condo, you know, collapsing. A lot of that stuff is coming due because those assets are starting to age. And you need in what most newer investors do is they create the budget, but their budget is light on going forward. So these newer assets will allow you to put less capex in. So you think you're paying less for an older property, but down the road there's going to be those expenses. So be careful with that. I think the other thing is is that market. I mean, make sure that you're in a market. You want to be landlord friendly. You want to be landlord friendly so you're there not battling with the city about trying to evict somebody and you have rights to raise rents. That to us is truly important. I'm trying to think of other metrics, job growth, not population growth, age of the asset. As far as cap rates, you really need to know what's going on in your market. I can't tell you, hey, you need to have a five cap or a four cap because you could be buying a three cap in Nashville. That may be a home run because three years from now, you've repositioned it to a five or six cap. So looking at that, I just want to be in cities that knowing that my exit strategy is I want equity and a little bit of capital appreciation and a little bit of cash flow. I want to be in markets like that. And I think markets in the Southeast really have a combination of both of those. So is that mainly where you're looking for properties now is the Southeast? We are in Knoxville, Tennessee, vertically integrated. So we manage our own property. So we're within a three-hour radius. So we like Nashville. If you can find a deal in Nashville, we like Chattanooga. We'll look at Huntsville. Huntsville is an amazing market. It's just a tight market. There's a lot of white collar jobs there. It's an amazing market, but it is it is very expensive. We'll look at deals in North Carolina. I love Florida. It's a little bit too far from us, and I don't have time to start a property management company. But anything, anything than three hours in Knoxville. We're in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a deal there. We love that market. We're in Louisville, Kentucky as well. So anything within three hours in Knoxville, and we're lucky because everything. There's a lot of things that are centrally located. Even yeah. Atlanta's there as well. So I really like what you said, and I'm going to try to say it back, is cash flow gets you out of a job and the appreciation keeps you out. 
Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, in our group, again, we have, you know, most people have a W-2 that they're, a lot of them are trying to get rid of mm-hmm. and go fully passive. So we're mm-hmm. not going to be, we don't have a whole lot of people who want to be a syndicator. We want people who want to invest with syndicators. Mm-hmm. So can you explain that statement a little bit? I, I really like that. Cash flow gets you out, but appreciation keeps you out. So if you're trying to get out, should you be going for cash flow? And then once you're out, you switch to appreciation? Or what's your- It's a great question. Jim, what I would say is go back referencing Brian Burke's podcast again. It's going to be on our channel in a couple of weeks. But what he had mentioned is, because we're fighting all the time, we're saying, how are people underwriting these deals? It doesn't make sense. Well, it comes back to what you want personally. If you're looking for cash flow, you may be in your 55, 60, 65-year-old range where you're looking for yield. You've already accumulated assets. You're looking for yield. So maybe a lot of these deals don't make sense to you. But if you're younger, and like you said, you're looking to get out of your job, maybe you look for deals that have less cash flow, but more potential rate more potential, you know, profits in the future down the road. So that's why people are overpaying for these properties. They know in certain markets, they're going to appreciate because rents are going to rise and hard assets are going to appreciate in this inflation rich economy where you keep printing money, where 25% of all the money printed in the US was printed in the last year. Just think of that for a second. And that money hasn't found its way into the economy and it's going to take years before it does. It's going to go to crypto. It's going to go to commodities like it's doing right now. And it's going to go to real estate. That's what's happening right now. So for you as a passive investor, I think the goal, we teach this at Jake and Gino, is to get on the conveyor belt. Imagine a five-year conveyor belt. Get that first deal on. Let that deal matriculate 24 months, 36 months. After three years, maybe that deal sells, get capital, put into the next one, or you refi, hold it and continue. By year three, maybe you have another deal on. Year four, year two, you can see that mental picture. That's what you want to do. You put one asset on a year, the next five years, you've got five assets. Three of them are probably cranking and cash flowing. The other two need to be able to work, but you can see how the model goes. It's long-term wealth building. And that's the model that I think everybody needs to employ. And that's what Jake and I have done. I mean, we've, we're refining three deals this year. We haven't closed any deals, but those deals were put on the conveyor belt two or three years ago and they're matriculating. And that's what you want to do as a passive investor. Start putting money into these deals. And as they start to pay you off, you can see what what ends up happening. Now, for people to start, just buy good deals. Buy sound quality deals. If they cash a little bit less now, and your goal is to get out in the next three to five years, that capital appreciation, when it's there, it'll work for you. You're looking at markets that have lower cap rates. Just remember, lower cap rates are great if you're a value investor, because when you're adding a dollar at a lower cap, you're getting more bang for your buck. And the lower cap rate also, Jim, just reflects that there's less there's less uh, risk in that market. A four cap in Nashville as opposed to a nine cap in Cleveland, they may be valued the same. It's just telling you that people in Nashville are going to pay their rents and your chances of collecting rents are much better in Nashville than they are in Cleveland. That's, what, that's really what it, what it discusses. And it comes back to what does Jim ultimately want? Does he want a little bit of cash flow day one or does he want that little bit on the back end. Right. And I agree. That's what you, you really need to figure out what you're looking for before you go out and invest with somebody. And, and you mentioned it earlier, you need to make sure that the values are aligned, right? You need to make sure yes. that you are aligned with the sponsor. Otherwise, you're going to be disappointed. And Jim, that one point, that's why the podcast medium works really well. They've heard me on hundreds of podcasts. They've come to our three live events. We have a live event in October on, on the 23rd and 24th at the Gaylord Palms. There's going to be 600 investors there. Do you think 100, 150 of them are going to want to invest with us? I think so. i tell you a quick story. On our second syndication, a gentleman named Robert calls me on a Friday at 5 p.m. Mike patches me in, and Robert's talking. He's in Nashville, Tennessee. He's like, he's got that Southern draw. I wish I could do the Southern draw. 
But he's like, Gino, just want to speak to you about your second deal. I said, yeah, well, can I answer any questions? He goes, I saw you MM3. I love your kids. All six of them were there. You got a great family. What is it you need from me? I was thinking, you want to IRR? You want to cat? Nothing. He just wanted to speak to me and wanted to know that I was real. And he liked my family. And he liked the vibe that I was giving off. And he knew that I had a track record. That's all he knew. So if you're out there, build a brand, become transparent, become authentic, be an authentic person. Don't be anybody's do Jim, do Gino, and just add value. And that's what we did with MM3. We got 500 investors in a room. We had a great event and we met, we met investors there. And that's what we're going to do with MM4. We're going to get over 600 investors there, 600 multifamily investors, educators, everyone there. It's going to be a great time. That's a place to network. That sounds fantastic. And you know, I think the, the more I I'm in this industry, the, the more it, I guess it's like any industry where the networking is the key. Meeting other people is the key. Every mm-hmm. time I meet somebody new, I learn something or I find a new opportunity. So I think it's great. And it's nice that we'll be able to get back to in-person events as well. Oh, can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. So one, one other question I have, and this might be a little bit specific, but I've been asking this of people lately, is bridge lending is, is really popular right now. You know, I've heard some people that are concerned that the commercial bridge lending could turn into the same kind of debt problem we had in 2006, 7, 8. So can you talk about bridge lending and how, how you look at it and, and what kind of loans you prefer to have on your syndications? Great question. For us, we started out with our own form of bridge lending. We used community banks as the bridge. Easier to work with. They were cheaper. You didn't have to worry about any kind of, uh, as far as economic versus physical occupancy. We were getting great terms and we were using them as the bridge because they would give us either a five or seven year term. We knew within two years or two and a half years, we could refinance back to them or we could refinance back to agency. And we just had a gentleman named Matt Leinberger on our podcast. He's from Lima One. So if anybody wants a bridge lender, just reach out to me and I can introduce you to Matt. Great podcast because he talks about the bridge product and they have an awesome product there. Interest rates are higher. It's interest only. And a lot of the people that use these, these, these products is because they're looking at deals that are not stabilized and they can get interest only loans for 36 months. Now, a lot of times they won't go with the brand new sponsor. You may have need to have some experience, but they will underwrite to inexperienced sponsors if they have the proper business plan. I think the bridge product, a lot of people are going to need it now because if you're underwriting for higher rents and you're not there and the product is not stabilized because we've gone through COVID and your, you know, economic occupancy falls below 90%. It's a great product to have. You just need to have an amazing business plan. You need to be really tight and you need to move. Once you get these deals done, you want to get these deals repositioned in the next 12 to 24 months. I'm not an expert on talking about timing because I thought this problem would have occurred three years ago. We saw interest rates tick up like two and a half years ago. Deals are falling out. And I thought interest rates were going to continue to climb. They didn't. They stopped. And if you're here to tell me that interest rates are going to rise in the future because the Fed is signaling something, I'm here to tell you, I don't believe that. Because the emerging markets of the world, all these other countries have a debt problem. Not only us, they have a tremendous debt problem. Our goal and our, you know, the way we look at it, we're fortunate because capital is flowing into the United States from these other markets. They're losing capital and they can't restructure their debt. And if interest rates rise, they're going to get crushed. And then we have the federal government here, which is a drunken sailor spending money. So they are addicted to low interest rates. So they need that. And if you start raising rates, it's going to crush the entire economy. So do I see rates rising? If I had to be honest with myself, I don't. So I don't think it's going to be a big problem, these bridge loans. It depends upon these underwriters that are underwriting these loans. If they're doing a good job of looking at the assets 
and the riskiness of them. But if they do a good job doing that, that's a great product if you know how to use it. You're getting 80% loan to cost. You're getting your cost built in to the loan so you can bring less money to the table. You have more equity for yourself. That's a freaking home run as far as I'm concerned. We've used uh, on our two of our last deals, we've used loan to cost. Actually, with the community bank, we're in the process of refining that thing out about nine months after we bought it back to the community bank because it's not ready, fully, fully stabilized to go to agency. But that they're they're a tremendous product because you come up with less money and they'll they'll refinance the majority of the uh, of the proceeds. Now they're they're not going to give you a check at closing. They're going to say, "Hey Jim, when you've done the work, send in the bill. We'll repay you." So I mean, how how awesome is that? Coming up with less money out of pocket, owning more equity, and re- and for refinancing all the rehab costs. That's a win win. Are there any specific questions or concerns a passive investor would have when they're analyzing a deal with bridge debt that they should look at differently than if it was agency debt? Good question. That is a sponsor question. That is, has Gino done this before? Does he have a proven track record? If it's a hundred unit property, if Gino's saying he can rehab all those units in three months, has he done that before? <laughs> can he do that? Are his rent increases $200? Is he nuts? Is he going to get $200? You have to really underwrite it to that perspective also. Just because Gino says he can raise rents because he put some grand and he changed kitchen cabinets, can he actually do that? Those are the questions that I would say, what's the time frame? look like. And as far as he's doing that, him as being the operator, can he operate this property efficiently and get that NOI to go where he where it needs to go? The next question, I don't even know how to ask this one of you because you have, I think, four different podcasts of your own. I'd love to hear what those are, but I always ask at the end, what's a great podcast that you listen to other than your own? But please also tell us what, what your podcasts are. Can I be honest with you? Absolutely. I don't listen to podcasts. Never, I don't even listen to my podcasts. And the reason why is when I have a, I have a certain guest on every week or somebody different, I have to listen to them. I have to read their books and I, I focus my efforts and time on that. So instead of listening to a podcast, because I don't need to be, a lot of the podcasts, as you know, they're entertaining, they're enjoyable, they get you excited. I don't need that anymore. I needed that 10 years ago, but right now I don't need that medium. So for me, I'd rather read a book. I'm, I'm, I'm well into reading at least a book every two to three weeks. I love Cameron Harold. I'm reading his vivid vision right now because I want to see myself three years from now where I can take Jake and Gino, where I can take my education. So for me, it's important building a brand into the personal development. I love Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think that's an amazing, amazing book. Mindset by Carol Dweck, another book on, on mindset. And these are all really appropriate for passive investors. I mean, with Stephen Covey, start with the end in mind. Well, what do you want to do? Do you want to accumulate and have $20,000 a month in passive income? That's great. So how do we reverse engineer that? How many deals do you need to do? How many deals do you need to be underwriting? How many sponsors do you need to be underwriting? And then that will get you to your ultimate goal. So a lot of that stuff is in those personal development books. As far as ours, we have Wheelbarrow Profits. I have a show called Movers and Shakers with my, uh, Multifamily Zone with my wife. It is a podcast where we talk about spousal development, spousal communication, parenting. We just had Dr. Gary Chapman on the show last week talking about the five love languages. That was an eye-opening podcast for me. It was amazing. I mean, he's written over 20 million books and that was an honor to have him on. Movers and Shakers, as I was just about to say before, is, is a show that my community director, Josh, and I do. We, we podcast our students. Our students have closed over 18,000 units, over a billion dollars in assets under management from our student community and to highlight them and to give them the props. Like I said, they're investing in the education. All of a sudden, they get on the show and they're like, hey, I just closed my first deal. Well, guess who's listening to that podcast? All their potential investors. And they've just created content that way. 
And finally, we have the Rand CRE show. The Rand CRE show is just a syndication show with our community director, Mike Taravella. He's always, he was always interviewing thought leaders, mortgage brokers, real estate investors, adding value from that perspective. Well, this has been great. I really enjoyed this conversation. Fantastic content. Can you tell our listeners how to get in touch with you? Very simple. Email me, Gino at jakeandgino.com. And I told you, I'll send you this little booklet learning how to become a passive investor and learning how to raise capital from others. Because maybe one day you've got it down. You're like, you know what? I like this. I can still do it passively, but maybe I can raise capital from some of my friends and we can go find somebody where we can invest our money collectively into somebody else's deal. And once you learn how to do that, man, the sky's the limit. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, we might see you down there at your conference in Tennessee. Make it happen, Jim. Looking <laughs> forward to it, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you very much. It was a privilege talking to Gino today. He is an authentic and energetic guy, and that came out in the conversation. One of the most powerful things he said, I think, was in regards to your W-2 or your um, just regular job, that cash flow gets you out, but appreciation keeps you out. I think that's something that's really important to think about if you're one of the many people in left-field investors who is trying to perhaps one day get out of your W-2. Just because you have the cash flow, that doesn't mean that it's going to be sustainable. And that's where he's talking about you need some assets that have appreciation potential as well. And the good thing is you can get both of that from real estate syndications, but you might have to be a little bit more intentional about the assets you're investing in. I also liked how he talked about education and networking, and those are really the keys to success in this business. And that's the same attitude that we have at Left Field Investors. We got together to provide a network for ourselves so we could learn and grow together and get better at investing. And I think since uh, Left Field Investors have been around, I know that I've improved, I've learned, and hopefully the rest of you have as well. And hopefully you got something out of the podcast with Gino. I know I did. See you next time. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.